0: Lord, tonight I pray that God you'll give us insight and Lord you give us understanding in the um, deep and complex book of the Revelation. Lord, I pray that you will help heighten our anticipation of the glorious appearing. That, Father, your truth will be like oil in our spirits to loosen them up. That we would rejoice all the more that Christ is coming. That, Father, we would, Lord, keep before us that future hope, that blessed hope, as Titus said. That happy hope that, God, we, that we would, um, Lord, rejoice in that future grace to come that will be the finalization of the accomplishments of your gospel. Lord, it is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen and amen. We'll take your copy of God's Word and open it to the 11th chapter of the book of the Revelation. And we're going to read from verse 14 down to verse 19. And I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word, if you would like. The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ." And he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding of your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the Ark of the Covenant was seen within His temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and earthquake, and heavy hail. This is God's Word. You may be seated. Well, we have been on this journey in Revelation for about a year now. I think we started this back in last August. We are at chapter 11, or finishing chapter 11, which means um, we're at the halfway point. Twenty-two chapters there. So we'll see. Uh, perhaps by this time next year, we'll be rejoicing in chapter 22. Who knows? Christ could come back before then. but um, And then you just never know when the Holy Spirit takes us on detours and we have different things that go on. But we're just moving along verse by verse at the speed of God's Spirit. Now, if you'll remember... When we entered into chapter 10, we entered into what I told you was a, um, to give you a fancy term, a parenthetical interlude. It was an intermission. sort of a break in the chronological flow and sequence of events and the Lord sort of stopped to give John a breather who's been taking in seeing all of this great judgment and wrath and catastrophe and calamity that has been going on to I, I think to give him just a little bit of hope of the anticipation of victory and he took him to some pretty neat scenes and we saw the two witnesses last week we finished up looking at those two witnesses that were that were killed and slain but brought back to life for um god's purposes will prevail and so um that is where we were but now as we get back to verses 14 through 19 we're back in the um sequential flow uh the chronological order um, if you'll remember, the seventh—we're we're dealing with the seventh seal having been broken, and the, the seventh and final seal—that seal that's broken just before the exact, but just before the time of Christ's absolute return. And so, if you'll remember, back in eight one, when, chapter eight verse one, when that seal was broken, there was silence in heaven. You couldn't hear a pin drop in heaven. Well now, um, as we're moving forward, as we're moving forward because that silence that came, because of the awe and the anticipation about what was about to come and what was about to be, um, we're going to see here as we get to the end of the seventh seal, as, which we're, we're going to see the seventh trumpet blown. It's not silent. There's a lot of shouting that's going on, and so it's 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 just this great thing that this is depicting for us: um, the breaking of the seventh seal. Just to kind of help you remember, the breaking of the seventh seal met the blowing of seven trumpets, and these were terrifying trumpets. We called i, I called that area the sounds of terror, um, and these trumpets were bringing and announcing severe and serious judgments to come upon the world Um, these would be judgments that would make tsunamis and nuclear disasters and bioterrorism look like a sunny day over here in spring park in other words you know these were going to be so bad it makes stuff like that look real nice Um, but if you'll remember, trumpets 1 through 4 brought ecological judgments on the earth. They were judgments against the very planet itself. Trumpets 5 and 6 marked the beginning of the three final woes to come upon the earth. And, and trumpet 5 and trumpet 6, they, they brought demonic and spiritual judgments that made the first four not look so bad. But now we're coming up Towards the end of all of this, in the midst of all of this, God gave that parenthetical interlude, and now He's bringing us back into the flow of these chronological events. Um, And so we'll just walk through these verses, and we'll begin in verse fourteen. And the first thing I would note to you is we see that the third woe, woe ain't good. (laughs) All right. As far as if you're on the bad side, but the third woe is announced. So we pick up with these the events that we left off with in chapter nine, when it says the the second woe has passed. That was trumpet six, and behold, the third woe is soon to come, and the third woe is the seventh trumpet. That is going to be blown. And this will be the most intense of all the other trumpets. Of all the judgments. It will be very intense. Um, In verse 14, we're told the third woe is coming soon or coming quickly. And that word soon and quickly, there in the Greek, in this context, it means quick or soon in the sense of, of rapid succession. In other words, when the seventh trumpet is blown, there's then these seven bowls that are poured out. And each bowl brings a different aspect of that judgment. And these bowls are poured out in sort of a rapid sequence. There, It's kind of like boom, 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 okay? You know, you're getting hit. Pretty fast with these bowls that are going to be poured out upon the earth. And when they come, that quick succession of these, these bowls of wrath, the end, behold, the end, it's right here. The end's right here. It's right here. And that's a glorious thing. And I, when I say the end, I don't mean the end of things. What, what, when we talk about the end, when we talk about the end times, we're talking about the end of an age. The end of an age. Not the end of all things, but the end of an era. The end of an age. And behold, there's a new era and a new age that is to come. And when I say new age, I don't mean new age Eastern mysticism. Okay? I'm talking about the thousand year reign of Christ. What will lead into eventually the new heaven and the new earth. Which will be a glorious thing that we will see when God's throne literally comes down and God's throne is upon the earth forever. 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 Um, It's pretty amazing things that are to come. But anyway, second thing I would note as we're walking through these verses, we see that the third woe was announced in verse 14, then in verse 15, the seventh trumpet is blown and the eternal reign of Christ is announced. In verse 15, we read these words, The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. told you there was a dramatic shift in the scene in heaven. Um, In the beginning of the breaking of the seventh seal, from which these trumpets are coming... I told you there was silence, but here we go from silence to shouting. And and I ask you the question, is that not the way of true worship? We go from silence to shouting, and I want you to think about it. When we first hear the gravity of God's truth, there comes a heaviness, a silence, and a reverence, and an awe of what God has spoken and God has said. But as what God has spoken and God has said becomes an experiential reality within our own hearts, what is often the reaction of the saints of God but to burst forth with a shout of joy? That can come out in an amen, or a hallelujah, or a well glory, or just a shout. But it comes. It comes because of that truth. You know, there... There are times, maybe I'm just weird, but no comment on that. But sometimes I can be, you know, driving down the road and look out at the countryside and I'll see just this beautiful scene and it just takes me, it reminds me of the fact that The creation bears testimony to the Creator and how the heavens declare the glory of God. And sometimes I'll be driving down the road and I'll just start shouting in my car. If anybody saw me, they'd think I was a madman. Or there have been times where I've been sitting um, at my desk and I'll be studying a text of Scripture. Sometimes it's hard, it's heavy. Sometimes when you go to the Word of God, it, it feels like there's just a lot pressing down on you as you're wrestling with a text of Scripture. And then it's the, like the light goes off. And I've sit back and gone, well, praise the Lord! You know, that's just the way it is in true worship. And that's what we're seeing mirrored here in heaven. Well, here they're shouting, but my question now is, and what I want you to see in this text is, what is it that they're shouting about? They're not shouting about Alabama and Auburn. Okay, what is it that they're shouting about? And no, being they're not shouting about LSU either. What are they shouting about? Well, let's look. Let's see. Um, the text says the kingdom. What it, he what it says is the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. Whew. Did you get that? Do you hear that? You see, what you think about it, in the Garden of Eden, Satan became the God, little g, of this world. By virtue of the fact that Adam sinned. And rebelled against God. You know that—that that is why um, Satan could theoretically, when Satan, when Jesus was in the wilderness, offer him the kingdoms of the world, because in a, in a sense he was he had limited. Uh, rights and control over. it, And he's, he's been here uh, controlling the power of the, the spirits, the demonic spirits of the air. He is, uh, the demons have been allowed to coexist for, with humanity and he's, he's the, the hierarchy over that. He is the, the controller over that, so to speak. But when the seventh trumpet is blown, and the seven bowls of wrath are poured out in rapid succession. The kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of Satan will no longer rule on the earth. <laughs> Do you hear that? Okay. Now, we're going to get into chapter 12 here in, in, next week, and we'll break the chronological flow again. Uh, But the details of what's going to be happening on the earth during the seventh trumpet when it's blown, it's going to be revealed later on when we get way down in Revelation 16. So you're going to have to kind of wait a little while before we get there. But nevertheless, what's going to happen when when the seventh trumpet is blown? And once these rapid uh, bowls of wrath are poured out upon the earth, the mystery of God is going to be finalized and fulfilled do you remember me talking about the mystery of God in in the context here of, of revelation do you remember me we, 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 we saw it we saw that mystery back in chapter 10 that and the mystery was this that God has Decreed and permitted that evil could be and sin could be and Satan could be in this world and that it somehow is being used to accomplish His plan, the plan of God and His purpose. But here at this point in time, that mystery and its need and its place and its purpose will be fulfilled and Satan will not, will not rule. He will not be called the God little g of this world anymore. (laughs) That's good. That's a good thing and a glorious thing to know that. This verse goes on to say that He, and that's referring to Christ, that He will reign forever. The millennial reign of Christ now will last a thousand years, but the reign of Christ continues through all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. So here we have the fulfillment of many Old Testament prophecies that look forward to the eternal rule of God, when God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is that what we see when the when the seventh trumpet has it's finalized, and we see the mystery of God fulfilled, and we see Satan is no longer ruling in any form whatsoever in the hearts of people on this planet? When we see that, and we see it, that, that is when we see the final fruition of the Lord's prayer. Matthew 6 and verse 10 when we pray Lord your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is a prayer. A eschatological prayer. That is praying for the return of Christ so that this can be a reality. And there it will be fulfilled. And that will be a glorious thing. Now, next we see in verses 16 through 18, we see the worship and the adoration of the Almighty being expressed. And we see that there are two responses, really, here of the 24 elders. First, we see in verse 16, the 24 elders fall on their faces. I mean, in response to the truth that has been loudly proclaimed, the 24 elders, those, if you remember, those heavenly representatives of the church, the saints of God, they fall prostrate on the floor and worship God. Because this is it. This is it. Um, This is the full manifestation of the church one mission. Advancing the kingdom of God in this fallen world It's the gospel is preached worldwide. And this is it. This is what we're waiting for. This is what people have lost their lives over. This is why Christ died. Oh my goodness. And they just fall in worship before the Lord then they begin to offer thanksgiving notice this in verses 17 and 18 while they're on their faces they begin to offer thanksgiving up to God now i want you to consider the reasons they're thanking God and the reasons they're thanking God right here are reasons we should be thanking God too even now so think about this There are about five reasons in this text here that they're offering thanks to God. First of all, they're thanking God for who He is. They're thanking God for who He is. The text says, from verses 17 and 18, we can see that God is almighty. God is almighty. Almighty comes from a Greek word that Two Greek words, actually, one that deals with meaning all. The other one, kratio, which means to rule, to be master, to be strong, to be mighty. And when you put them together, it means possessing all power and all rule. It speaks to the sovereignty of God and the omnipotence of God as the supreme ruler of the universe. So they start out expressing the almighty nature of God and they're thanking Him for it, that He is the Almighty. Then they begin to thank God for His eternal nature. He, He's not just going to be here today and gone tomorrow. He is eternal. Notice what the text says. It says, Who is and who was. Now, my Bible right here doesn't use the phrase after that, who is to come. Some of your Bibles put that in there, some of them don't. Now, my Bible does put that phrase, who is to come, earlier on in the book of Revelation. But the reason why it doesn't right here is because in some of the, the better manuscripts you don't find that phrase. And it's okay because let me tell you what this is saying right here when you see this in the better manuscripts who is to come is left out here. And the reason why is because the God who was and the God who is has truly come now with the completion of the judgments of the seventh trumpet. We're no longer having to say who is to come for He has come home does that does that make sense to you here at this place now they're thanking God for who he is they're thanking God for his also specifically for his sovereignty in my my opinion here it says the elders say because you have taken your great power have taken is uh, in the perfect tense it's the perfect tense of Lambano It means to take hold of, to possess. And so in His immutability, God has always now possessed omnipotence, but He has not always exercised His absolute authority or power over the earth. Here at this point, He takes hold of it in the sense that He begins to exercise it absolutely. And the perfect tense here points to action accomplished with continual results. This stresses that once God so acts, it will be permanent and the world will begin to experience the results of God absolutely reigning over absolutely every aspect of everything in this world and this existence. And the reason for the absolutism here versus not absolute prior to was because Satan was allowed free reign. Well, free reign under God's permission. Okay, now they thank God for His kingdom coming fully with the manifestation of His sovereign rule in verse seventeen. They thank God because He begun to reign. Again, it's just they're thanking him because the kingdom has come fully. Then they thank God for something that might seem odd to us. They thank God for His wrath. They thank God for His wrath. Listen to what... Here we are, they're thanking God. He said, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for... And then we begin to have the reasons for. For you have... Taken your great power and begun to reign the nation's raged. but your wrath. What? They're thanking them for this. For your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged. We don't think about thanking God for His wrath, do we? But they are. They're thanking the Lord for His wrath. Now that may seem disturbing for you. That these 24 elders representing the church of the Lord Jesus Christ thank God for His wrath. A wrath that right now is being revealed in the seven bowls or vows of wrath being poured out on the inhabitants of the earth. Why? Why would they do this? Well, for one, it is because the wrath of God glorifies the holiness of God. But the wrath of God, not only it not only consumes the enemies of God, glorifying the holiness of God, but the wrath of God in this sense protects the church from those who would hurt her. So if in regard to wrath, the wrath of God against the ungodly, it sort of demonstrates God's love for His people. Think about it. Okay. Now, what else do they do? They thank God for judgment. That's sort of coming out of the, the idea of thanking Him for His wrath. But they thank Him for judgment and they also thank Him for re- reward. Here, we see that at the end of, of this little section right here. It says, for, they're thanking Him for your, the time for the dead to be judged and for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, great and small. Wow. The seven trumpet means rewards are coming soon for the saints. Rewards are coming soon. The servants of the Most High will soon be rewarded. And guys, listen to me. These are not some little token, two cent trophy to put on your shelf in your heavenly home. What is the reward of the saint? I'll tell you what the reward is. It is the perfect image of Jesus Christ. You're rewarded with Christ-likeness. Because when we see Him, because the Eastern skies, when we see Him, we shall be like Him. That is the reward of rewards. And soon that will be a reality, the perfect image of Jesus Christ. And it also means, at the same time, simultaneously, That we're receiving this great reward, which is the finalization of the gospel, the fruit of the gospel, the finalization of our salvation. Well, at the same time, simultaneously, judgment is coming to the lost. For the text said, the destroyers will be destroyed. Now, in particular, it's specifically talking about the nations that raged against the Almighty it will be true of all lost people. Now, we'll wrap up looking at verse 19. We see the Ark of the Covenant in heaven. At first glance, verse 19 might seem out of place. The temple is opened and the Ark of the Covenant is seen. But What's the meaning of that? Why is it right here, I suppose? Uh, Well, the temple in the book of Revelation is used to signify the very presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant, of course, is the place where God dwelled in the tabernacle in the Temple of Solomon. and, And that sacred little box, the Ark of the Covenant, also represented and was symbolic of the presence of God. Now, if you'll recall, under the Old Covenant only the high priest could go into the presence of God and once a year he would enter in to the Holy of Holies to atone for his sins and the sins of his people. He would sprinkle blood on the, uh, of a lamb over the lid of the ark. But here, now New Covenant... Christians have been made a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood to show forth the praises of God. And now the ark is not hidden. It's not hidden behind a thick curtain, a veil, the veil of the temple. But it was out to be seen by all the people. Oh, that's good. That's good. Inside the literal earthly ark are the two tablets of the Decalogue, or the Ten Commandments. They were kept there. And even though those tablets, even though they were destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C., the moral law of God that they encapsulate, it is eternal and binding. And when the ark is seen by all, it is a reminder that the presence of God will be manifest to all, and that the moral law of God will be the perfect law and rule of earth under the thousand-year reign of Christ and under the eternity to come under the new heaven and the new earth. And to that I would say, Soli Deo Gloria. Glory to God alone. Guys, can you wait for it? Can you wait until that time is coming? And all of all of the stuff we gotta deal with now. It'll be no more. Wow. Well let's pray and let's let's rejoice in the soon coming Christ.